the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you have tuned in to the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Glad to have you with us today. Um, a week from today, uh, we will be having our um, Christmas Eve services. We have kind of a really unique Christmas Eve service um, they're one hour. They close with family style communion. Um, the Lord always picks some people to share uh, what God's been doing in their lives over the past year. Uh, and it's really, really a neat time. And we invite you to come. Uh, it is two services at four o'clock in the afternoon and five thirty. Um, one hour in out home with your family for Christmas Eve. Hope to see some of you here. Uh, I'm going to open today with with uh, just a comment on something that uh, somebody sent a story to me today that was really really sad, uh, and um, uh, because I get so many questions on this program about Bethel music or the Church Bethel in Redding, California, um, I want to show you how important doctrine is. Um, somebody wanted my comments on this, and so. Uh, I'll give them here on the program. If you have any follow-up, you can do that. But Bethel has been in the news uh, over the last few days. I actually didn't know anything about it until today when somebody sent me uh, the the link to the story. Uh, But the worship leader there, who is a woman, uh, her two-year-old child died. And um, they have been for the better part of a week now uh, at Bethel. Um, she's leading worship, and uh, they're praying for her to be resurrected from the dead. Um, if you look at some of the YouTube clips from there, there's just all kinds of craziness going on. And I want to be sensitive because I understand grief, but doctrine matters in our lives. Because this is a child, she didn't wake up, she she stopped breathing in her sleep, and um, and, and she's dead. And they believe that all they have to do is believe enough. And Jesus, who raised people from the dead in the, in the, the, the New Testament, will raise their child. And they're convinced, and there's the craziest stuff going on. 
supposedly in the name of Jesus, but none of it is the Lord. And see, the problem is the, the people who need to have a solid church family around them um, are missing what they need. There's nobody to grieve or to mourn with them. Instead, there's just this silly false hope about this child being raised from the dead, and they're confident that, that Jesus is going to raise her from the dead. She's been dead now for several days. And they're holding on to it. And the, the, the nonsense that's going on at Bethel Church because of it is shameful. And again, the person who's grieving the most, the parents of this two-year-old girl, they're the ones who aren't being ministered to. And if there was such a thing as suing a pastor for malpractice, Bill Johnson ought to be sued for malpractice. There's no way a pastor who's supposed to be the shepherd of the, of the flock, there's no way the pastor should allow those things to go. And he shouldn't give people false hope. He should teach doctrine that is pure, that can be depended on. And instead, what you've got is these large crowds coming every single night, doing all of these crazy things, crying out to God to resurrect this young girl from the dead. And it is an ongoing tragedy. So for those of you who have been calling and asking about Bethel Church, that is the bad fruit of really, really bad doctrine, and people always get hurt. So I wanted to mention that in response to the question that I had sent to me today, uh, but also as a warning. Doctrine matters. I'll say it a thousand times before Jesus comes for me. Doctrine matters. Paul, at the end of his life, sort of passing the torch to Timothy, said, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. So I hope you are sufficiently warned. Here is an anonymous question that was sent in. It says, Pastor Ron, I was raised in church, but it never worked for me. How can I find the, and they capitalize the, the truth about God? Well, Anonymous, I'm glad you asked the question because the truth has been staring you in the face your whole life. I get up every morning and I look at the eastern sky and I know that's where Jesus is coming back. The sun comes up in the eastern sky. That's the hope we have. If I went out my back door now, I would see the sun beginning to set in the west. It happens all the time. I know that when we get up in December, it's more than likely going to be cold. It's that way every year. There's a method to the creation of God. I know that when summertime comes, the weather is going to be warm and perfect. God did that. He orchestrated that. The church that you were raised in told you the truth. Now, I don't know which church. I don't know whether they lived it or not. But they told you the truth. So, Anonymous, here's what you've got to do. You've got to be committed to finding the truth. Now, I have to say this. I'm always skeptical when somebody says, well, I tried Jesus, but it never worked for me. I'm skeptical because I don't know what they were looking for. Were they looking for all their problems to go away? Were they looking for all of their mistakes to be wiped away with no consequences? Were they looking for goosebumps? Were they looking maybe not to be afraid of anything anymore? The world that we live in is scary. And Jesus works for everybody who will surrender to him. And usually when Jesus, quote unquote, doesn't work, it's because we're not surrendered to him. We're trying to do things our way. Anonymous, we've got to come to him on his terms. He's God, we're not. So here's the truth. Jesus Christ really lived. He was murdered, hung on a cross, put in a tomb. He was dead, and he didn't stay dead. And because he didn't stay dead, he demonstrated that he is, as he declared, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So Anonymous, the truth is right there. All you have to do is believe it by faith. You don't have to fix things. You have to do a bunch of good things. Just believe it. 
and really and truly surrender your life, your heart to Jesus Christ. And you're going to find out how beautifully it works. Now remember, God's not interested in your goals. He's interested in having his will being completed in your life. So if again you think Jesus working means everything's going to go easy, you're going to get all the things you want, then you don't understand. Last comment, Anonymous. Take some time. If you're that interested, if you're being honest about wanting to find the truth, then take some time tonight to read the Gospel of John. Read it slowly. You can get through it all if you're really interested. Don't stop until you're convinced that you've met the real Jesus. He is really the truth about God. And he demonstrated that God loves you so much that he was willing to give his only son just to save you. So John chapter 3, when you meet Jesus, give us a call on the program later this week. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's a question from Christopher. Pastor Ron, does God love people who go to hell? Yeah, Christopher, he does, but he's unable to love them the way he wants to love them. You might remember in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's an explanation in the book of Romans. Uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God doesn't hate anybody because God is love, but what he means by that's that's Hebrew comparative poetry. It's also real, but it's his way of saying, you know, I loved them both, but Esau wouldn't let me love him. So the outcome was as though I hated him because Jacob uh, followed me, Esau became my enemy. Not that God wanted him to be the enemy, but yeah, God loves people who choose to go to hell, and it breaks his heart. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a work that is strange to God. The last thing he wants to do is send somebody to hell for eternity. He created us to be with him forever and ever. And so when somebody chooses of their own free will to, re- to, to reject Jesus Christ in this world, we have to make that choice while we're alive. If we choose to live independently of God in this life, then God will honor that request in eternity. But, yeah, does he love him? For God so loved the world, Christopher. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, everybody in it. And oh, how he would like to love the people who are, from his perspective, unlovable simply because they won't come to him. So yes, he loves everyone. And when somebody makes a decision to spend eternity in hell, it breaks God's heart. You know, in the book of Revelation, Christopher, there's a time when the final judgments are about to be poured out. And things get so silent in heaven, it's, it's you can feel the silence when you're reading the passage. It's because God's heart is broken. Judgment is a very solemn thing to the Lord. And nobody has to be judged. But when they reject His Son, Jesus Christ, then judgment is the only thing that's in store for them. So, I hope that makes sense. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, What about being married in the eyes of God instead of getting a marriage license? Uh, Anonymous, uh, you know the answer to that question when you send it in to me. Uh, That's what men who don't want to make commitments tell the women who want to be married. It's a little bit general, but not very much. Oh, it's just a piece of paper. And by the way, if the man in your life says, oh, it's just a piece of paper, that's how he treats it. Now, if and when you ever get married, that's the way he'll treat it then. Being married in the eyes of God means we can sleep together, we can move in together without the commitment. And that's simply not the way God is going to do it. If you're going to be married anonymous, get a marriage license, obey the law, make it legal, protect the woman um, that you're with, or if you are a woman writing this question, um, if, if the man in your life isn't protecting you by being willing to commit to you, then that's a man that 
doesn't deserve you in their lives. So there's no such thing. If you're not married in the eyes of the law, you are not married, period. And uh, I, again, I think you knew the answer to that question when you sent it in. Here's an interesting political question. Um, Linda. Um, she says, I think Trump is the most immoral president ever. How is it that Christians support him? Um, Linda, I was, I was walking by our uh, high school, one of our high school classes, um, and, and one of the teachers was just talking, and he stopped me, and he goes, I've been quoting you on this. I want to make sure it's right. And he stopped me, and he said, he said um, why do Christians support Trump being as immoral a person as he is. And what I always say, and this is what he was quoting, was, look, when I go to a doctor, I'm not looking for a Christian doctor, I'm looking for a good doctor. When I need something fixed, I want somebody to fix it who's good at doing what they do. I'm not looking for a Christian, I'm looking for a mechanic. And the idea there is that uh, when we look for a president, we're not necessarily looking for a Christian. Now, I, I want to say to you, and, and I want to make this clear, uh, I think Donald Trump is a horrible human being. I think he's done some marvelous things as the president of our country. I think if you're looking for a whole package, I think you're being a little bit naive. Politics is uh, a, a, a future of compromise. And... Um, you know, if you think Donald Trump is the most immoral president ever, I would ask you to compare him to our last president. Our last president, who was, by all accounts, a good guy. Um, a professing believer, although not truly a believer, not born again. Um, he's the president who led the push to legalize gay marriage. How many people are going to go to hell because he gave them permission to live a lifestyle that our Bibles say that people live like that, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Let me add, let me trump even the homosexual issue. President Obama was pro-abortion, on-demand, at any time, that's pretty immoral. With much bigger consequences than President Trump just being a jerk. How about, Linda, we do this? And again, I think Christians can support Trump politically, but I also think we have to be willing, rather than just give him our blind support, I think we have to be willing to call him out on the issues of sin in his personal life. This is not a nice man. Not only is he not a nice man, he is a man who has demonstrated in his personal life horrible, immoral judgment time and time again. So how do we support him? If, if you are a conservative, you support him because he's not going to kill a bunch of babies. He's going to work actively to support life. You support him because of the, the economy and things that have been done. But you know, when he's behaving immorally, we've got to call him out. We can't just be the hypocrites that say one thing with our mouth, but throw our full support by the man who really needs Jesus. Here's, Linda, what I think we all ought to do. And I can say this. I didn't do it every single day, but I did it most days. When uh, Barack Obama was our president... Uh, as painful as it was, um, I prayed for him continually to meet the real Jesus. Prayed for him and his family. I wanted him saved. I want him to be in heaven. I pray for President Trump regularly because I want him to be in heaven too. That's more important to me than whether they're a good president. But we don't support the immorality of a man. We, we support the job that he's going to do as the leader of our country. 
So that's how this Christian would support his candidacy. But make no mistake, and I've been chewed out over it, about it on this radio program time and time again. Um, when he's in sin, I call him out on it, especially because he, too, professes a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he has no idea who Jesus really is at all. Hope that makes sense. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. The phones are quiet. Here's a question from Sheila. Can you help me understand the best way to approach finding a husband? Um, Sheila, you're not going to like my answer. The best way to find a husband is to, first of all, pray for him. Secondly, and I don't mean in terms of priority, it's second, but, but this is probably first, is you get so close to Jesus that you're walking with him so you can follow him right to the place where he's got a husband that's being prepared for you. I think, Sheila, the one thing you need not do is look around. Just trust the Lord. Commit this to God. If, if you have a desire to be married, God said marriage is a good thing. If you have a desire to be married, say, Lord, you put that desire in my heart. I promise you, Sheila, that he did. And here's what you say. Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you and trust that you are going to fulfill this desire in my heart. And you'll do that. Don't go online. Don't go um, to a dating app. Don't um, go to bars. I hope that goes without saying to find, try to find somebody. Um, just follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you cannot miss bumping into the man that God is preparing for you right now. I think a lot of times, Sheila, we misunderstand this whole approach to, to getting married. You know, it's a time of preparation. You need to ask yourself the question, is your heart right with Jesus to the degree that God can trust somebody he really loves with you? And of course, that same question works the other way around, the man for the woman. Can God trust you with somebody that he loves? Is being married your little G-God? Or are you looking for somebody that you can serve the Lord together with, that you can follow Jesus together with? That's the heart that God will honor, Sheila. Let me say one other thing, and I don't mean this in a um, trying to turn the church into a dating app. But I can promise you the one place people ought to find a mate is at church. I mean, where else can you watch somebody serve? Where else can you see the heart with which they're serving? Where else can you get to know somebody in in a fairly non-threatening environment. And so you want to be sure that whoever it is you find, she loves Jesus more than he loves you. And I don't know a better place to do that than the church. You know, when I've said that to people who have come to me personally for counseling about this issue, they'll say, well, I would feel so guilty if I came to church looking for a husband. Why? Jesus is here. If you're following Jesus to church, why not have your heart open? Why not have your eyes open? I'll never understand why someone would go on a dating app with somebody they don't even know as a believer and be all filled with hope and be all giddy, you know, instead of looking around at church and watching people serve. If you would come, Sheila, to our church, you're going to find a lot of single people who... who um, aren't looking for me to start a singles group so they can pair off. But they're here and they're serving Jesus with all of their heart. I'm talking men and women of all ages. And if you have a heart to serve and there's a man with a heart to serve, it's very likely that you're going to find one another. And I, again, I can't imagine a better, safer place to find somebody than a church where you've been able to watch him. So, Sheila, God bless you. I hope that makes sense to you. One more question before the break. I can do this one pretty quickly, and we're inside about a minute and a half now. It's an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, what do you think about a husband and a wife attending different churches? I think it is horrible. Horrible. So here's what you do. And I don't know whether you're the husband or you're the wife. But remember 
that the male, the husband is the head of the wife spiritually. Submit to him. Go to his church. Now, if the church is horrible, if the church has terrible doctrine, when I got saved, I dragged Paul to some really bad churches because I didn't know a good one from a bad one. If it's got really, really bad doctrine, then sit down with your husband and say, look, I'm going to submit to you as unto the Lord. But I want you to know you're accountable to be sure that I'm being taught the right things. And this church, I'm telling you, is a church that teaches false doctrine. And then you get in the Word and you study and you dig in and, and, and you protect yourself. But you go. Now, if your husband is not a believer, let's say he's going to a Catholic church and he's not born again, and you are, I wouldn't say go to the Catholic church. I wouldn't go where there's horrible, horrible doctrine being taught or not being taught at all. But assuming you're both born again believers, then go to the church that he decides and if you don't like it pray for him and ask God to intervene he'll do it we have 30 minutes left as I said a minute ago the phones have been quiet we'd love your calls 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we'll be back in two minutes don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life no problem if you've got questions you can email them to Pastor Ron at Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. I don't know if you can tell, but I've got Mountain Cedar voice, so keep us all in your prayers. I need my voice. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Uh here is a question from let me get to it. Uh another anonymous one. Uh Pastor Ron, excuse me. Pastor Ron, I've been going through something really hard and tried getting godly counsel, but all the people I've spoken to give different advice. I thought I was doing the right thing, so what do I do? Well, you know, Anonymous um, uh, Solomon deals with this. There's wisdom in many counselors. But remember, the counselors have to be wise. There's no wisdom in a lot of foolish counselors. And and here's something that happens in every church. There are people that will just go from person to person to person to get counsel, and they'll end up either getting confused or they'll just keep going to people until they get the counsel they want. Um, you, you just shouldn't be doing that. Just go to your pastor. Uh, go to a, a pastor on staff and um, explain what's going on and ask them for counsel. Let them open the Bible and show you what direction to go. But don't share things with more than one counselor. It just gets too many cooks spoil the meal. hope I said that right. Um, we constantly have people, and every church does, where they just, you know, they're just not content, so they're always kind of barfing their stuff up on other people, looking for advice. That's the worst possible thing to do. So now, if you've been going through something really hard, then go to your pastor, and if he doesn't do it himself, he'll give you direction in the church. Uh, I've got men, if I, I can't do all the counseling here, obviously, but I've got men and women, uh, depending on on um, the circumstance, uh, who I would trust with my life. And I always tell them this, when you go, you stay with her, you stay with him, and let them walk with you through this thing and take their counsel. You can trust them, but don't go looking for counsel a whole bunch of other places. So um, I, I hope that makes sense. It's so logical, uh, and yet sometimes people just don't get it. So 
Uh, stop asking everybody. Just accept the counsel that you have. Here is a question from Dominic. He says, what if the rapture is a false teaching? Are Christians being fooled? Now, I don't know, Dominic, who you've been listening to or reading about the rapture. Uh, but the rapture can't be false teaching. I mean, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, and that describes the rapture of the church. I used to say, uh, all Christians, you know, nobody um, um, doubts there's a rapture. There's different views on the timing of the rapture. But that's not even true anymore because there's somebody you've been listening to, evidently, Dominic, has has, has given you the whole idea that the rapture's a false teaching. Uh, Christians aren't being fooled. God's Word says it. You don't have to interpret it. Just read it. We're promised over and over in Scripture to be removed from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the earth, upon all those who live on the earth. And literally, in Greek, those are earth dwellers. And this isn't a new concept. You can go back into the Old Testament and you can see picture after picture after picture of God separating his people from the people who are being judged in, in, in the book of Exodus during the ten plagues on Egypt. Goshen, the land where Israel was, was spared from the darkness. They were spared from the hail. They were spared from the insects. They were spared from, from um, the judgments. And yet, Egypt wasn't. And I could go on and on and on, but the rapture is the blessed hope, Paul calls it. It's the promise. Jesus said that we should pray that we would be counted worthy to escape these things that are going on uh, and, and affecting those who live on the face of the earth. So unless you don't believe Jesus, unless you don't believe what Paul wrote, then uh, hang on to the rapture with all of your heart. Dominic, that time is coming soon. I believe it with all my heart. I, again, soon is relative when you're talking about God. But it is impossible for God to judge people who have already been judged. My sin, your sin, Dominic, has already been judged. Jesus took the judgment. Would it then not be unjust of God to judge you again in the Great Tribulation, which without any doubt is described as the time of God's wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. So no, we're not being fooled. We're to look up Dominic all the time. Dominic, let me give you a suggestion. Uh, go to our website, calvarysa.com. Um, in the book of Revelation, the teaching that I do, uh, every time I get to chapter 4, the very first study in chapter 4 is always a comprehensive teaching on the rapture. And, and the teaching there is Old Testament through the New Testament. All the reasons why the pre-tribulation rapture of the church is the only possibility. Um, why this isn't something that's new and, and uh, you know, wasn't believed until late, later. Um, so it's Revelation chapter 4, the very first study, is always completely devoted to the, the rapture of the church, it's a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, and all the reasons are explained why there. So let me know, Dominic, if you uh, get it and are, uh, are able to be blessed by it. 340-9585. George in New Brunfels called into the studio and said, Who wrote the book of Hebrews and who is it for? Um, George, I just finished the book of Hebrews. Uh, just this past Friday, uh, and I am 100% convinced, 100% convinced that it is Pauline in authorship. Um, the more you read it, and, and I was convinced even more uh, when we uh, finished it, the, the, the final farewell is is just the words are the Apostle Paul's words. So um, he is the writer of the book of Hebrews, I'm convinced. Um, there are others who are not as convinced as I am, but um, the best they can do is say, well, we don't know who it is. If you read the book of Hebrews, um, and, and I'm not bragging here, I'm just telling you over my 28 years as a Christian, uh, 
Uh, I bet I've read it a hundred times. And the more you read it, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is sitting there reading it to you. The language is Pauline. The thought process is Pauline. The style is a little different, but remember, his audience is different. Now, who is it for? It is for Jewish converts to Christ who are being persecuted for their faith. That's why the book contains six warnings. Um, you know, they're in danger of of turning away from the faith just to escape the persecution. Uh, those Christians have been um, active together as a church for 20 to 30 years at the time of writing of the book. And they're just tired. And we, we understand that. They're just tired of being persecuted. So um, Jews are telling them that, you know, we'll stop the persecution, just renounce Christ and come back home to Judaism. And that's what the book, that's who the book is intended for. And it's written to convince them that their only security is in Christ. It's almost like he's saying, look, are you going to go back and sacrifice animals? We know the book was written before 70 AD because the temple was still in in in, in uh, use. And um, he said, going to go back and offer animals for sacrifice after you've had the sacrifice of God himself? So, George, that's uh, the idea uh, behind the book and the purpose of the book. We just finished it, so I've got all of those studies online for free as well. Let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Harold on line one. Harold, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yeah. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm on a speakerphone, so I'm going to do the best I can. Um, okay. Yes, okay. So I was uh, disregard uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 and 25. Now, as growing up as kids and a young person, you know, we all heard the plagues and you know, the snake and the, the water and all that stuff and the locusts and everything. As a kid, it, that was fine. But in my older age, I come, I mean, the verse has always been there, but I come across, I read further, and Exodus 4, 24, 25, when the very last, just before that, it might have been 20, uh, when Moses says, you know, your firstborn son, you know, if you don't let the people go, it, you know, the uh, the curse would be your firstborn son. And then when you read 24 and 25, of course, the, uh, the commentaries always say, or the ones I've seen, it says, this has always been a mystery. How Moses' wife, or met, or the Lord met Moses' wife in the wilderness, and suddenly they grabbed the stone, I don't know if it was Moses and his wife, because I, I'm trying to do it from memory, and they circumcised Moses' firstborn son. That's what it looks like. And I've really never paid attention to that before. And so that's my, my uh, question and my thought was Exodus 4, 24 and 25, how, how the Lord met them in the wilderness, and it seems to be have circumcised Moses' uh, firstborn son. Like it was kind of in a rush or it was an oversight. I don't know, but if you want to comment on that, I'd yep. like to hear it. I- I can and do I that, Harold. Thank you. I mean, on the radio. Okay, Harold. Thank you, Harold, very, very much. And, and there's really no mystery here. I don't know what commentator would say this is a mystery or, or we don't know what it is. It's simple. Um, in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses got his call from the Lord in the, the burning bush episode. Um, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Um, Moses was given great responsibility by the Lord to much is given, much is required. Jesus tells us, and uh, what we find out about Moses is that um, while he's going to Pharaoh um, um, to to do the work God's called him to do, uh, we learn that there was some disobedience even in Moses' own house. Now remember, uh, Zipporah was not a, a Jew, and and to the rest of the world at the time, circumcision was a, a, just a bloody religious ritual. Nobody understood it. Uh, and, and, and Zipporah would have just thought, no, this is horrible. You're not cutting off my son's foreskin. And um, um, God is simply saying, um, you know, unless you're obedient, Moses, you can't go serve me. 
I've given you this call. You're going to go talk to the most powerful man in the world. You're going to deliver my people. But you can't even deliver your own home. And that's why Jesus, um, when it says that a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses, was about to kill him. That was that was Jesus. It was the angel of the Lord. Um, he, he wasn't keeping a secret about what he was there to do. He was going to kill him. The, the, the judgment for Moses was going to be death. And Zipporah, remember, not a Jew. She saw how serious it was. And she took matters into her own hands. She saved her husband's life. She took the flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and then threw it at Moses' feet. That was a, a, a sign of disgust. And she said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. In other words, she didn't want to do it. Moses allowed her to make that decision for her son, for his son. And the Lord wasn't going to let him go. You, you can't serve God and not be obedient to God, especially those who are given great responsibility. And then when you get to verse 26, it says, so the Lord let him alone. Um, you got to be obedient. I say all the time on this program, Harold, that, that you, we serve God on his terms or we're not serving him at all. And Moses was trying to go back to Pharaoh. Remember, he, he didn't want to go, but, but he understood the call. So now he's going to go do it. But God says, you got to start in your own home. How can you go deliver my people when your son doesn't even have the sign of circumcision? So that's all it was, and, and he, he really was going to die. But um, his wife saved him. And he was obedient. So I hope that makes sense to you, Harold. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Rachel. Rachel, everybody I know has asked this question at one time in their life. Is it possible to hear God perfectly so there's no confusion? in your life. Um, Rachel, we're imperfect, so the answer is no. Now, whenever we're in the Word of God and God is speaking to us, we can know that's perfect. Um, you know, you, you can't say, uh, um, God wants me to be happy, so uh, He's going to let me do what I want. That's not God. Um, but I think, I know what you're getting at, Rachel. Let me explain. I, uh, When I got saved, I believed with all my heart that um, that there, there would come a time when I would be able to hear God's voice so clearly that I would never have any confusion. I would never make any more mistakes. The truth of the matter is, that's just not the case. And so, um, you know, we'd like to be perfect. We'd like to have um, clarity. Um, we'd like not to ever make a bad choice or bad uh, decision. Um, but, you know, that's part of what faith is. Faith is um, trusting God. And I say this all the time. All the time. That if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. And especially um, we men, we have a, a problem... Um, with our ego, you know, we, we think we've got to be right. It depends on me. And what we need to learn is that God is the one who began the work in us. He's the one who finished it. And if we give him control, Rachel, then he'll make sure that our hearts are always in the right place at the right time. So it's not going to be possible ever to hear God perfectly. There's always going to be confusion in your life as long as there's flesh in your life. But remember what Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now, let me get a little more personal with you, Rachel. I've made a lot of decisions over 24 and a half years here as the pastor of Calvary Chapel. Uh, and I can honestly say that every one of them I believed was the right decision at the time. And I've seen God intervene when the decision was not the right one. Uh, we were going to buy a building. You know, we don't have a building. We've got a, 
um, a, a small building a, a, in a strip mall. Um, we've got a lot of people. We need more space. We need space worse than any church I know. We use every inch of this place all the time, and still, uh, we're, we're we're not nearly enough. If if we had a a place that was um, four times this size, we'd have four times as many people to come. And I just believe one day that God wanted us to have a building. I know I wanted it, so I made well. God wanted. My heart was right, though. I, I really wanted His will, not mine, be done. And Rachel, I negotiated for a building, fifty thousand square feet or close to fifty thousand square feet. Uh, it everything seemed right. Everything seemed like it made sense. I believe with all of my heart it was in the will of God. And the day that uh, Paul and I went to sign the papers and pick up the keys. We made the deal. Everything was done. Um, It was as though Jesus was in that room with me saying, this isn't me. And if we'd have gone ahead with that, and believe me, my ego wanted to, Rachel, if we'd have gone ahead with that, I don't think there would be a Calvary Chapel of San Antonio today. So I hope that makes sense to you. You, You're never going to hear the Lord's voice speaking to you perfectly. Um, But if your heart is in the right place, and if like Jesus, you can say, nevertheless, thy will, O God, not my will be done, and mean it, he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So, Rachel, I hope that encourages you a little bit. Here's a question from our mobile app from Nacho. Do you think that Matthias was at the Last Supper in Luke 22, verse 14, I ask because what is said by Peter in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Let me read Acts 21 or Acts chapter 1. Therefore, it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until today, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Um, you know, all we know, Nacho, is that there was 120 people there. We don't know the identities of the 120. Um, uh, the, the Last Supper was very private. It was just Jesus and, and 12 that soon would become 11 when he put Judas out. So uh, I don't believe that Matthias was at the Last Supper. Uh, I believe he did fulfill, uh, we don't have to believe, I know he fulfilled the other requirements, uh, he had been following Jesus for a time um, from the, the baptism of John and was all the way committed and there through um, the uh, ascension of Jesus. Uh, and, and you'll remember there were only two men uh, that, that met those qualifications, and Matthias was the one chosen. So at the Last Supper, the answer would be no. That was just Jesus and his 12, um, soon to be 11, uh, but for uh, the rest of them, um, uh, it would it would just be a very intimate time uh, for Jesus. Um, I do believe that Matthias, of course, was um, with the, the believers uh, while Jesus was put on trial. I believe he was with the believers uh, at the cross. Uh, I believe that he would have been with the believers, like the the, the road to Emmaus disciples, uh, following the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But at the Last Supper, I don't think the answer uh, can be yes. He, he just was not there. Good question. Oh, but we've got inside four minutes now. Let me get to a question I can take here. Um, Ginny says, Pastor Ron, how can parents equip children to grow up pursuing purity in a world like ours today? Uh, Ginny, the, the only way you can equip them uh, is is to, to get them to church, uh, read the Bible to them, teach them, share the Bible stories with them. Uh, that's what equipping is. But remember, they're going to grow up and they're going to make their own choices. Now, here's the most important ingredient in all of that. Yeah, you got to have family devotions. Yeah, you got to be in a good Bible teaching church. Yeah, your kids have to see you serving and, and give them the opportunity to serve with you. We have a ministry called Growing in Servanthood here where kids and parents serve together. It is a, the, the best thing ever. Um, but most important of all, Jenny, 
is they've got to see that you really and truly love your Jesus, and they've got to see the consistency in, in their mom and dad's walk. You know, children are hypocrisy, they have hypocrisy radar. And if, if, if your walk with Jesus is hot and cold, if you use foul language, if you get angry, if you freak out when things are hard, um, then they're going to come to the conclusion that mom and dad's Jesus really isn't all that great, not all that powerful. They don't trust him, so why should we? The only thing that's going to equip you, so you show them who Jesus is, you, by, by modeling your relationship, you teach them who Jesus is, have family time in the Bible. It needs to be something that happens regularly. Get them to church, a good Bible teaching church. When they're old enough to make their own choices, they're going to know who Jesus is. They're going to know that he's real. And then if they love him, that's between them and the Holy Spirit. They're going to say no to the things of this world. I can't imagine, Ginny, my kids are grown. I've got five grandchildren now. And I watch the influences on my grandchildren, and it terrifies me. This is a world that mocks the things of God, mocks purity. What we've got to do is show them how much we love Jesus and pray that they'll catch it. So, Jenny, that's the best I could do with that question, but it is a tough one. By the way, I've got a parenting series uh, on our website, calvarysa.com. Uh, most popular series by far I've ever done. I don't do series very often, but um, I, I recommend that. That would be a good place to go. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.